706 on CJAD 800. Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau. Josh, how are you? Excellent, Dan. Great. And uh, joining us this evening, uh, well, I think we're going to talk golf tonight. Uh, Joe and Lana Zunenschein of The Putting Edge. Joe and Lana, welcome to CJAD. Thank you. Thank you. So we usually start the program by just uh, really simply uh, asking you guys uh, what you do for a living and what is The Putting Edge? Well, the putting gauge is a glow-in-the-dark mini-golf, complete with arcades. And in one of our locations, we also have another game called Laser Zone. And uh, that's uh, 18 holes of uh, glow-in-the-dark mini-golf with party rooms and so on. I've done it. It's quite challenging. Uh, I've done it, too, and it, it is challenging. You know, when your 13-year-old beats you at golf, <laughs> it's, uh, it's very proud dad. That's all I can say. How in the world did you get into this? What, what is your background... Uh, Joe, I'll ask first, and where did putting edge come into play? Well, quite simple. Uh, I was in the real estate business uh, for the best part of my life and um, pretty much retired. I have a son that lives in Boston, and he has three children, and I was visiting him. And uh, he asked me to come along uh, when he picked up uh, one of his kids that was at a birthday party. And that's how I found the glow-in-the-dark uh, mini-golf. I found it was quite a unique uh, sort of a situation. Never saw anything like it. And I started to look into it. And uh, my first inclination was to possibly bring it right across Canada. And uh, But uh, it turned out uh, that I ended up putting together Putting Edge, which was an existing organization out of Toronto. Were you looking for something else to do? Were you kind of bored or just kind of fell into your lap a little bit? Actually, I was pretty bored, number one. And number two, I was looking to see at the time uh, I had four grandsons. And so my first thoughts were, hey, if I can build this and put together four of these things... When it's taught my time to go, I'll give this to the kids. Excellent. Now, your first step when you're looking and you, you walk into this place, because it's it's really you're, you're taking somebody else's concept and trying to bring it back home. Did you investigate it first in the States? Because you mentioned Toronto, but did, did you go about figuring out what was working or how, how it was being done in the States before you came here? Well, I was intrigued with the idea, and I did a bit of homework and uh, visited uh, the people that had uh, that location in Boston uh, with the idea of perhaps uh, taking uh, their franchise right across Canada. And uh, the the problem was that they were a fairly young company. They were very new, and so there was very little information I can get. However, when I was there visiting with them, I asked them who their competition was, mm -hmm. and that's when they mentioned Putting Edge. <laughs> so I just scribbled the name down on the back of a card, came back home, um, started to do a little bit of homework, tried to figure out, does it make sense? How do you go about it? And so on and so forth. Couldn't get the first base and was going to take the whole file and just dump it. I turned over the card and found Putting Edge, went on the web, and discovered that Putting Edge really had been in business for 15 years with locations across Canada and the United States. 
and they even had one in Ottawa. So the next thing I did was I just got into my car, took a drive to Ottawa, and what I saw really impressed me even more so than the people that created the one in Boston. You, and, you, you've been in the, in the real estate business for, as you said, the better part of your life. Right. Not really or necessarily in retail. Did the knowledge transfer? How did you start to get to know how to deal in a retail business? Well, I, <clears throat> I, I, I wouldn't say that the, the knowledge of retail didn't transfer because uh, we built shopping centers. Uh, one of the major shopping centers I built was Marche L'Ouest in, in the West Island. And that was a combination of a host of different types of retailers. And I traveled around the world trying to find specialty type stores so that I can influence and create the same thing back here in Montreal. So I did have a good rounded knowledge of, of the retail business itself. However, you know, the putting edge is a whole different type of a venue. It's, I'm, I'm not serving food, basically. I mean, we have right. that for parties and so on. But it's, it's an entertainment venue. It's something quite different. So it was a challenging thing to put together. Now, had you ever been involved with a franchi in a franchisee-franchisor arrangement before? Only from the perspective of a landlord. <laughs> so it's, it's, a little, it's a little bit different. A little bit different, right. Were they, the, the franchisor, were they already doing this with other people across the country? Actually, when I, when I first uh, investigated and spoke to the founder of, of Putting Edge, uh, who, lived in, who lives in Toronto, um, they, I asked, the, the first question I asked, I said, are all of your locations franchised? And the answer was, no, none of them are franchised. So that really struck me. Why would they have built 15 or whatever locations without franchising them? This must be something different. The second thing is everybody that takes a look at a putting edge thinks that this is strictly for children and how wrong they can be because mm -hmm. the second question I asked, I said, what are your demographics? What is your prime clientele? And then when they told me 18 to 35, I says, hold this mackerel, this is a whole different venue. So that that's how that came about. And the other thing is that <clears throat> the fellow who was the founder really was very complimentary to me because he used to be a general contractor mm -hmm. in real estate and construction and so on. And so we had a great rapport. And uh, Lana is your daughter. Lana, how did you get involved in the business? I started about... Um I'd say two year, two and a half years ago, I was in um, property management, and I was looking um, for some more flexibility um, for my private life, my time, and um, the company at that time had, we had the Laval location at, at Centropolis, and the Ville Saint Laurent location at Sphertec. And uh, one day I picked up the phone and I said, um, do you think you could use me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I switched gears completely. <laughs> was it, it difficult to, sh to share the roles? I mean, when you came in, was it, did you kind of have a skill set that you could bring to the table? Well, I do, um, I do administration and marketing. 
So at the time, my sister, who's also involved with the company, um, she actually was on maternity leave or was just about to go on to maternity leave. And I um, have a degree in marketing, which I never really used. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of picked up the pieces, um, learned, learned through my father and um, kind of went from there. And uh, coming up, Josh, on today's Entrepreneur, more with uh, Joe and Lana Zunenschein of The Putting Edge, and uh, we'll deal with some HR issues later in the program as well, right? Absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit about difficult employees. Aha. How to deal with them. Ah, yes. My boss will certainly be taking notes during that segment. 7.20 on today's Entrepreneur. Welcome back. Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you, as we are uh, most Monday nights at 7 p.m., and our guests from The Putting Edge, Joe and Lana Zunenschein. And before we left, we were talking, Lana had joined the business about two and a half years ago. And we see this in many family businesses when you have you have one of the children come into the business. It's not always clear what roles they're going to take on. They need to learn a bit. They certainly have a background and a skill and expertise. I guess I'll turn to Lana or Joe, and I guess you'll both answer the question. How easy was it to determine who did what when you first came into the business? Well, when I first came in... Um we had decided I was going to do um, administration, um, bookkeeping for the company. Um, so before I even got into that or trained for that, I followed my father around, um, learned how it all worked on a day-to-day basis. I had, I had no idea. I, I really had no idea how much work was involved, and I was impressed daily. Um, so, And I had also worked for my father when he was in the construction, before my the job I was at before this, way back when, I had worked for him and he had been my boss. So you had so, a taste of it and you still came back. Yes. <laughs> I knew he was a good boss. <laughs> he always treated his employees well. And um, that's not to say we always agree on everything. We don't. Um, what, but hap- what happens when you disagree? We sometimes will. It, it depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'll just um, go with his experience because he's been at this a lot longer. Um, and, um, sometimes we'll tweak it, but, um, we, we usually come to a consensus. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that we have the third location, um, our Centreville location, and we have, um, an associate with that particular location, we have, um, there's now three, three of us, plus my sister, four of us to discuss issues. So you're bringing in other people into the mix. Does it, does it cloud things or does it help? Does it really bring the added skills and expertise and good ideas, or is it too many people, too many cooks? No, I don't think it's too many cooks. Um, I think everybody's opinion is valued. And you know, thinking back and when you first started and you kind of fell upon it and and getting into it, not necessarily having a full idea of what's coming. And uh, you know, Dan, I'm going to ask this question that everybody says I ask all the time: <laughs> business plan. Did you start out with a business plan? Did you have try, try to create a real direction that you were going into when you first saw this, Joe? Absolutely not. <laughs> that was clear. <laughs> I've heard that answer before. I, I mean, <laughs> quite honestly, um, I was taken with the with the nature of the business. <clears throat> uh, the little bit of research uh, told me what and and where this business was coming from, how it was developed, and so on and so forth. And I really left everything in the hands of my franchisor. Um, 
not only from the perspective of operating the business, but from the perspective of building the whole thing. Because he was a um, general contractor. He designed all of the props. He designed, did all the artwork and so on and so forth and put the whole thing together. So in the first instance, I really just followed their lead. Um, what had happened was that um, I depended actually on them to give me that sort of support and I didn't get all of what I thought I would be getting and so I just had to pick up the pieces myself and figure it all out and that's exactly what happened. And now with your third location and you have this experience under your belt of building at a location and and all the operational issues that come with it, clearly your knowledge today is different than it was a few years ago. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, the, my, my franchisor has been uh, extremely um, helpful to me uh, all the way down the line in terms of some of the marketing ideas and cer certain other things that we do together. But notwithstanding all of that, we really run our own show. We're very fortunate that we are not tied together to a major franchise organization that has a rule book that is four inches thick. Um, and so we have a very loose operating situation. And besides everything else, we're here in the province of Quebec. So we have to deal with different type of clientele, mm -hmm. different type of situations, and everything we have to do, obviously, it's got to be 100% in French as well. Joe and Lana Zunenschein joining us this evening on Today's Entrepreneur at 724. 7.27 on CJD, and Josh, we're joined by uh, Joe and Lana Zunenschein of The Putting Edge, Glow in the Dark Mini Golf. And we were talking about franchising before and building out locations and getting a lot of help from, from the franchisor, but I would imagine, I mean, these are... These are locations. If anybody's ever been in one, it's it's quite fascinating, mm -hmm. um, and it and it's certainly very intricate, and must be somewhat costly to put together. It's not as if you're kind of just putting eighteen rolls of green down and and people are putting. It, there's certainly an investment aspect to it from a financing standpoint. Joe, did you did you seek outside financing? I know you you're now at three locations, so I don't know if there was a progression from one, two, and three. Well, in the in the first case. Um Actually, I didn't have any banking financing. Um, but as I move forward with the second and the third, uh, definitely I had uh, financing, uh, bank, bank financing uh, available to me. Do you find that, that they were open to the project? Was it difficult to convince them? It, it was, I would say it was fairly difficult because, uh, you know, it, we're in a very unique type of a business. And I don't know, God forbid somebody was in this business and they went bust. Mm -hmm. What would the bank do with all these props? Yeah. They're pretty much useless to anybody. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the only things of any value are perhaps some computers, uh, hardware, right. um, fridges, those type of things uh so it it was it was challenging it was challenging but the bank saw that i was running a business i was honoring all of my obligations i was always prompt with whatever i did i was 
very fair with everybody, my landlords, my franchisor, and whoever else I dealt with. And so they supported me on that basis. Did the bank suggest that you prepare a business plan for them? No, they. I didn't need the bank to do that any okay. longer. I mean, I, I, I had enough after the first time round to be able to deal with those type of things, both from legal, both from accounting, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. And so I was a lot more and better prepared second time round than, of course, even more so the third time round. No, and certainly building out locations in Quebec when you're dealing with franchisor outside of Quebec, certainly I'm sure has its challenges too because they are different markets. And as we've seen in many shows, Dan, entrepreneurs dealing in marketing locally versus when they have products elsewhere in Canada or US, it's very different. So I think when we come back from the break, we'll explore the marketing and how, how this market is a little bit different than elsewhere. More with Joe and Lana Zunshine of The Putting Edge uh, coming up on today's Entrepreneur. I also want to ask them how they deal with uh, some of the rowdy customers because, uh, I mean, it can get pretty wild in there. Are you planning on visiting, Dan? Uh, I have visited, and I was one of those rowdy customers. <laughs> Welcome back to the second half of today's Entrepreneur presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar along with Josh Miller of Fuller Landau and our guests this evening, Joe and Lana Zunenschein of The Putting Edge. They are the uh, glow-in-the-dark glow uh, uh, mini-putt uh, place. Uh, there's one in St. Laurent. There's how many locations are we at now? Three. Three locations. One in Laval, one in St. Laurent, and one downtown. Now, when I visited your location about a year ago, it was tons of fun, uh, but I noticed a lot of rowdy kids in there. Now, how do you control uh, your customers when they get too rowdy or too crazy? So were you there on a Saturday during uh, when birthday parties were going on? Probably, yeah. Okay. <laughs> was it your birthday party, Dan? Maybe. <laughs> Guilty. So, um, well, we control it in certain ways. Um, for birthday parties, yeah, for sure you come. It's loud. There's a whole bunch of kids. They're having a great time. So um, for our birthday parties, our um, entertainment coordinators, our party hosts, they're on the course with the kids. And we also ask for adult supervision which just helps the party run more smoothly, keeps the kids um, at the right hole, and that way they're, they're getting the full experience. Um, for the adults that are rowdy, um, we have rules. I mean, we have rules that if you're, you know, high-sticking your putter or <laughs> um, climbing on the props, um, we go in there and we tell them, sorry, please stop doing that, or we're going to have to ask you to leave the course. Um, we want everyone to have a great time. Um, we want every, it's no problem if you're loud, the music's going, but, um, you have to be respectful of everyone else. We don't want anyone to get hurt. So, um, we're all about fun. So we're no different than any other golf course. We marshal the course as well. Mm -hmm. So therefore we try to make sure that nobody is whacking a ball and hitting somebody or hitting somebody with a putter by accident or something of that nature. Try not to hear the word for too often. <laughs> so now let's, it's a retail operation. Naturally, when you say retail, hand in hand goes this word marketing and trying to get your name out there and some business development. Tell us what has worked for you or perhaps not worked for you on the side of marketing. So for marketing, um, when my father first started in Laval, he... Um, he did all sorts of different things. He did print um, with newspapers and flyers and the door knockers. Um, he did radio. Uh, he did um, going to schools, knocking on doors. 
um, one at a time. Really pounding the pavement. Really pounding the pavement. In general, uh, the word of mouth, that's our best advertising. So when we got camps in or schools in or corporate groups in, uh, them having a good time and coming back, that, that works the best. It's hard to measure how the marketing is working sometimes because you need people afterwards to be in place and to ask the customers all the time, how did you hear about us? And people don't always remember. They'll say, uh, I Googled it. So did they Google it because they heard it on a, they got it from a website that we have a link to that we're advertising in? It's hard to know. That's one of the um, challenges of being a small business, not having the company who, to hire a company who measures what's working, what's not. And, and I would imagine, I mean, it, it's all these different types of media, they can be costly. So it's not as if you can throw a million dollars at, at the world and say, hey, come find us. You have to be fairly picky on what you what you do. Is there anything you started doing a few years ago that you're absolutely no longer doing because you just it's just too costly for the bang for the buck? We, we cut out quite a number of different things. We learned over the course of time. I mean, we, we get solicited on a day-to-day -day basis by all kinds of people in the media business, mm -hmm. uh, opening up a new website, trying to tell us that they have this connection and that connection and so on and so forth. And so we have learned over the course of time, uh, you know, we, 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 I, I had spent a few dollars here and a few dollars there to try and figure out what's going on and how good they are and, and so on and so forth. And after, after five or six years time, we, we pretty much know who we can deal with and, and how to deal with it. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, a hit and miss sort of situation. The only couple, number of things that we are really constant with that we do on a on an annual basis. There are a number of magazines that mm -hmm. specialize mm -hmm. in children's parties and so on and so forth. And also on the radio, uh, we're usually on there for a good piece of the uh, time. Maybe you can talk a little bit about your online presence and how you use either social media or. Uh, those type of forms of marketing and how that's worked for you? So we have um, just started social media just for our putting edges in Quebec. Um, putting Edge, the franchisor, always had um, Facebook and Twitter, etc. Um, but it wasn't necessarily responding for our three locations here in Quebec. So we just started with um, our Facebook, Putting Edge QC, and with uh, Twitter and with um, Instagram and we have one of our employees who deals um, with all the posting um, on the Facebook and the Instagram etc and we post in English and in French which wasn't being done on the main mm -hmm. website. No it's an Ontario franchisor so exactly. they don't necessarily think about language. Well they're just I don't know if they don't think about it but we're monitor we're we're doing the monitoring ourselves and they're they're helping us by overseeing it um and our website has has always had online booking which is run th um through the franchisor so on our website we now have a french side to it that deals with our francophone community mm -hmm. 
which finally got up and running about, I guess, about a year ago, a year and a half ago. Do you outsource it or do you do everything in-house? Or do you rely on the franchisor for a big part of it? The website mm. is dealt with through the franchisor. We don't, we can't control it. When there's changes, we send them the, ch when, when there's changes that we require, we have to send it to them and then we have to check that it's done properly. Um, we have to send them the translation mm -hmm. that they require and that we require. And for um, Facebook and all that, we set it up ourselves, but they, you know, they're in the background helping us out and we have um, monthly calls to oversee how it's going. And is there one of them that you feel works best? I know I, you talk a lot of entrepreneurs and it's, you know, they're, they're concentrating. There's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's, you know, uh, Instagram and all that. Do you just use all of them or do you really try and focus on one because you feel one is attracting more than the other? I would say out of our social media right now, we're concentrating more on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, that's where we're showing promos um, that are specifically for our followers of Facebook. Uh, we just actually launched a Halloween contest um, just for this, obviously, past right. week. And for our other advertising that isn't social media, we, we're kind of a little bit all over the map. <laughs> so you're still, you're still working the kinks out. We're still working the kinks out. Now, now part of marketing is, of course, and you know, being in the real estate game, as we've said before, location is huge. You need that foot traffic, you need people, the presence, and of course you need the space to build it out. How easy or difficult as we, as we kind of get close to the, to the next part, how easy or close was it uh, or difficult was it, Joe, to find that right location or really find the three locations? Well, the truth of the matter is that in order to be successful in this particular business, there are several very important criteria. Number one is location, as you say, and we have to be in a location that is very conducive. In most cases, or we should say in suburbia, or, or middle Montreal, where at least we have some great parking uh, for people to come in an environment where we are surrounded with restaurants, movie theaters, etc., and where it is comfortable for people to come out in the evening. So that's one of the major criterias in terms of what we require. And each of your locations certainly has that except for our downtown location, doesn't have any parking whatsoever. But we're sitting downtown Montreal, Corner Guy in St. Catherine, and we have the metro, we have the streetcars, and, you know, the the crowd that we are catering to is is really not an issue for parking in that location. So as always, location is hugely important. Exactly. Thank you. And, and you know, when we come back from the break, we didn't get to talking about some of your human resource issues, but when we bring in Michelin Maillet and we talk about difficult employees, we'll also talk about the good employees with uh, Joe and Lana. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Full Orlando's Josh Miller. On today's Entrepreneur, our guests, Joe and Lana Zunenshine of The Putting Edge. And also we, we welcome back Michelin Mayet, HR specialist uh, which, with uh, Full Orlando to talk about uh, human resources. And not that we're talking about Dan Delmar because he is an exemplary employee <laughs> wherever he goes. But I'm sure there are some, some employees that do maybe cause a little bit of difficulty for their employer. What words of advice, what things should, should entrepreneurs look for uh, and do in these cases, Michelin? 
Well, I think every employer has, um, you know, a couple of employees that could be problematic for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, you have the employees that maybe that don't perform their work tasks well enough, not necessarily because they don't want to, but maybe because they don't have the competency to deal with it. Those are, I would say, a little bit easier to deal with than employees that where it's more behavioral problems that you're experiencing. So it could be they're rude with coworkers, they show up late, if at all, um, you know, they flagrantly break the rules or the policies of the organization. And then you could have obviously more serious cases where it comes to harassment or violence or theft, those type of incidents. And how does, what if you don't have a policy manual? And is it just basically a common sense? A lot of it is common sense. I mean, you don't have to have a policy manual to put in place certain disciplinary measures, if you will. I would say the most important thing is really if there are issues to deal with them quickly and to make sure to document everything in a file. I'd say that's the biggest mistake is people, you know, a lot of people don't like confrontation. So you can have an employee that maybe you have behavioral problems with, but you know, you know that they already have an attitude problem. So Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily want to deal with it yourself. So you kind of sit back and wait, thinking things will get better. And of course, we all know they'll only get worse usually. So I'd say that time is definitely an enemy of any of these behavioral issues, so to deal with them quickly. But at the same time, it's important to take a deep breath when this happens, (laughs) because sometimes you can have um, an accusation that's made or something that happens and people will react very quickly. You can have somebody, maybe a hot-headed manager who will burst in and start, you know, and fire the person on the Mm -hmm. spot. So, I mean, at the same time, it is important to take a deep breath. Uh, don't act too quickly. If you have to investigate, you know, an incident that happened, meet witnesses and so on, then there's that always, could be a situation. There's always more, version, more than one version. To yes, story, usually there is. Yeah, definitely. And and what about when you're dealing with a, a, an employee that has a disciplinary problem? Do you deal with them one-on-one? Should you always have a witness next to you? You should definitely have a witness when you're ready to meet with the person. Um but I think there's a few things that you have to consider before you decide. Because, I mean, disciplinary measures, you're talking verbal warnings. When we say verbal warnings, it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have to be written anywhere that you had mm-hmm. this meeting. You know, So you can still document a verbal warning, uh, written warnings. You can have a suspension. We could talk about paid suspension or unpaid. Now, a lot of people say, isn't a paid suspension a vacation? Right. <laughs> but, and, and, I'm, yeah. and I'm sure there's there's lots of different varying... levels of punishment that you can give. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit about the looser ones and maybe the the heavier ones that that need to be instilled with difficult employees. 755, welcome back. Our guests are Joe and Lana Zunenschein of The Putting Edge and Mission Mayette, HR specialist with Fulalanda. We're talking about, just before we left, the levels of punishment and the decision that an entrepreneur has to make when saying, you know, the employee screwed up, I got to deal with it. What do I do? Verbal, written, suspension, etc. What What have you seen, Michelin, and and how can an entrepreneur apply a certain or the right level to get the employee to do something correctly? Unfortunately, it's not black and white. So really, every situation has to be looked at. Um, but I think one of the most important rules is to make sure that the measure is proportional to the fault that was committed. So. For example, you can have somebody who arrived late once, you know, at an office job where it wasn't, you know, that important that they'd be on time versus somebody arriving late for a production job where the production line can't start without them. So, I mean, there's, you know, different things to consider. Um, 
there's also whether you should always sit with the employee also just to see what they have to say because sometimes there could be circumstances that you're not aware of like maybe the employee's arriving late every day because their wife's in the hospital and they spend that whole night in the hospital and you weren't aware of this so you're mm-hmm. gonna feel like a jerk when you come and <laughs> and you know give a written warning to this person when right. maybe that wasn't the most appropriate thing to do so i mean really speak with the employee also and does the employee regret his actions because also it's going to have an impact, even if it ever went to court. If the employee right away regretted what they did, apologized, and made corrective actions, it's very different than somebody who really doesn't care. So I think there's many different things. Also, if the employee's been with you a long time, if they're a management employee versus um, a regular employee also. So there's a lot of things that have to be considered. You mentioned documentation before. If you sit with somebody and and give them, you know, trying to get the situation and tell them they need to correct it, et cetera, do you follow that up with something in writing? Do you just put a note in your file? What, what should the em- employer do? Personally, I always feel that a verbal warning, uh, so a verbal discussion should be followed up with something in writing for the employee to be able to refer back to. So what was the issue that you're addressing? What type of behavior do you want to, do you want to see corrected in the future? Um, if there was consequences to what happened, you should list them. And also, you know, how much time do they have to correct it? If there's any resources given to them? Um, and what will happen if the same incidence recurs in the future. So the next step could be a written warning, or again, it depends how serious it was. Was it theft? Was it absenteeism? You know, it's got to be proportional. But one thing you should absolutely not do is let it go undealt with. Absolutely not. That happens all the time where we have employers who, you know, decide all of a sudden they want to let go of somebody who's been with them for 10 years, and they have a whole slew of incidences, but they've never sat down with the person or documented anything. So really, it's, you know, it's very difficult Lots to consider, and certainly as the, as the business grows with Putting Edge and, and the number of HR, I'm, I'm sure you've dealt with some issues along the way uh, that uh, that certainly has tested your uh, your patience and your character, but you have to deal with them because that's just, that's just what it has to be. And as we come to the last uh, minute or two of the show, uh, as we always do, we turn to our guests, our, our entrepreneurs, our successful entrepreneurs, and we ask them, what one piece of advice would you give to today's entrepreneur? Lana? So my one piece of advice would be um, make sure that you are passionate about the business that you're going to open um, because um, all small businesses require lots of time and lots of energy. So you're going to be doing it pretty much 24-7. So make sure it's something that you like. Just as she's passionate about her husband (laughs) and she's here on her anniversary. So congratulations (laughs) to them on that. Thanks, Josh. (laughs) And Joe? Well, I, I think uh, just a lot of hard work and uh, get ready for a lot of challenges. When you open a new business uh, and you get involved, you'll have challenges that will come at you on a day-to-day basis. And so you have to keep your head above water and make sure you deal with each one of them properly <clears throat> and uh, just go forward. Excellent. Dan, I'll tell you the one thing that stood out for me was a comment that was made very early in the show. And it was when Joe kind of stumbled upon this business. The point being is that entrepreneurs, if it's in you and you see an opportunity, you're going to go out and you're going to take it and you're going to make the best of it. And it might not be what you thought of and it might not be what you planned, but you'll recognize it and make the most of it when it happens. And that is a true, true, true test to the nature of a successful entrepreneur. 
Entrepreneur is an entrepreneur, right? Uh, thanks very much to uh, Joe and Lana Zunenschein of The Putting Edge and as well to Michelle Mayette of Fuller Landau. Uh, thank you, Josh. See you back here next week. It's 8 yep. p.m. on News Talk Radio, CJAD 800.